What's up, all you beautiful people? We're back at it again with another fresh episode of the Barkcast for thine ears. Um, I'm jumping right into it today, short and sweet. My guest today is the fucking man, the man with the golden voice. Uh, my friend Tom Quell, wonderful singer. I've had the pleasure to jam and perform with him a couple times. Just one of those clear-toned vocalists. Uh, one of my favorite artists and musicians, and uh, I'm stoked to have him on the show. We uh, we go into all sorts of heady philosophy, talk some music, and uh, did it all at uh, his spot, which is the Strange Manor, for those of you who don't know, a, a house rife with musicians in Richmond, California. Um, and if y'all haven't checked it out already, y'all need to go check out the music video that we did together, which is called the power of family. You can find that on YouTube. Um, I think the link's also on my Instagram at young Hobart, but we made a really dope video together and Tom was kind of, you know, the star of the show with his, with his sick vokes, uh, so if you haven't seen that yet, go check out The Power of Family because uh, we're both really proud of that project and hopefully we'll do more in the future. Um, and I was it was just cool sitting down and hanging out with my boy and talking shop. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you my man Tom Quell on this episode 56 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. <laughs> the water, yo. The water's on our side, yo. We're running with the water. It's the best. I uh, noticed that you have like a very nice uh, bidet in your bathroom. Uh, I believe oh. it's a Toto washlet. You know, I hadn't even noticed that. I'm just curious how your life has been changed with the presence of a of a Toto washlet bidet system. It actually hasn't yet been changed, but you just act- you just changed it. I, I'm not going to lie, I thought that was a toilet heater. <laughs> like, like, like it just heated the seat? Or? Yeah, and I was like, why Why would you... Actually, I thought it would sound kind of nice, but I just well, allow me engaged with that. Allow me to educate you on the virtues of the bidet, because... Oh, I've definitely used one. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. That, it's and really that, nice. You, that's the Cadillac. The total wash letter is the Cadillac really? of bidets, yeah. I have a, I have a tushy at my house, which, it's one knob, cold water only. It's amazing. My bum has never been cleaner, but the Toto, I mean, that thing will like sing you a song. It'll oscillate. It'll, 
warm water, cold water, front to back, back to front. Like that thing. Dude, I have Maybe to use it. Maybe a tickle it. at the end, you know, air I dry. Hope so. I have to use it, man. Yeah, dude, you got a whole. <laughs> Boy, do I envy you. <laughs> you know what? This is a great opener. You took me by surprise with that one, and I like it. I'm all about the surprise openings yeah. to shows, you know? And, you know, have me looking pretty foolish, which I, which I like. It's always, it's always nice to be, be humbled and realize the things you don't see that are right in front of you, which I, I think often happens to me, honestly. Well, you know, a great professor moves from the specific to the complex, and here on the Bartcast, we move from the foolish to the cool. So by the end, we'll have you looking like a G. Don't you worry one bit. <laughs> foolish and cool are also not mutually exclusive, you know? Sometimes you got to be foolish to be cool. It's true. I think cool and fool rhyme for a reason, you know? Now, I think these days, like, the role of the jester has never been more important or apt, hmm. you know, we witnessed this, like, explosion of, of comedy as being, like, you know, comedians have never had so much attention or uh, money thrown at them, or, you know, it's kind of, there's these new rock star comedians, and I think, like, we're living at this time where there's so much social change, economic upheaval, uh, naturally as a society we gravitate towards you know wanting people to step up and kind of explain it and also poke fun at the people in power and yeah um the fool is a very important position in in any society whether it's a tribe or a yeah, monarchy right. or you know a democracy you gotta have you gotta be able to make fun of shit it's true. I think everyone in any circumstance can always use some relief. I think relief is one of the nicest feelings to feel. And comedy usually provides that. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's, you know, relevant. Yeah, and relief, yeah. you know, great word brings us back around full circle to the Toto Washlet. <laughs> sure does. And more relieving than... I yeah, I just used one actually for the first time in many years at okay. a friend of mine's house. Um yeah, and it was it was a revelation. A revelation. Yeah. So I feel like when I I'm started using a bidet, it made toilet paper seem like barbaric. Toilet paper is kind of barbaric though. Yeah. In like, or it's like the inverse, or, or you know, it's like the it's like the modern version of barbaric. I don't. What do I mean? Mo- modern barbarism. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, it's just like apt. it seems. It seems unnatural, actually. Which, which now I'm questioning what I thought barbarism meant. Because mm. I think maybe being a barbarian is kind of like being the most natural and primal. Okay. And using toilet paper isn't. Natural or primal? Right. Leaves. <laughs> right. And stones. Yeah. Or just let it ride. Let Jump it ride. in the river. You ever yeah. you ever have to, you know, on a backpacking trip, you ever have to use the old stone trick? <laughs> Sticks and stones? <laughs> no. I don't know the old stone trick. Well, I mean, I've I've been up in the High Sierra before where either you have to like 
backpack out toilet paper and I don't want to carry it. Or I'm just looking for an adventure. So you get really good at finding the smooth stones. And, uh, you know, there's something about, you know, shitting at the top of a mountain with a beautiful view really grounds the soul, you know. And, you know, the only problem with the rocks, I mean, except from the obvious abrasiveness, is some days if it's hot out, those stones, mm. that's a that's can be a little little more than you bargained for. Yeah. To me that sounds really nice and like non irritating, but it also sounds like it might be it might lack a thoroughness. It's true. You gotta have a lake or a river to to bidet yourself afterwards. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like a you know, that's like a first step towards you know, a clean ass. Yeah. Which is really all we want out of life. I mean, when you think about it, you know, been at a festi for five days. You just came back from Burning Man, lots of dust. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you experienced the festival crust, which Mm -hmm. every festi goer out there in the wide world is intimately familiar with. Yes. And how good is that first shower? You know, that feeling of being so clean. Take me to that moment. Getting back from Burning Man. (laughs) What was that well, first shower like for you? It was actually a first plunge in a river okay. on the way back from Burning Man in the Sierras. Very cold. So it was kind of like part of me almost wanted to not do that and wait so I could have the full post-Burning Man shower experience. But it was kind of broken up. But, um, I mean, the first shower was amazing. Hot shower. Indulgent. Very indulgent. Long time spent. Did you look Excellent. at the like your feet and see the color of the water running off you? <coughs> was there was it? There was some. There was some color. Probably not as extreme as people who hadn't jumped in a river, but yeah, I did like you know get between my toes, which I don't do <laughs> no. too often. No, I mean I do do it. Do you neglect the feet when you shower? Uh, it's like a maybe a once every couple weeks thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> I mean, like I. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess like my legs and my feet yeah. are probably like. Just a little once over. Well, I think it's like you know I'll like I'll do a quick one, but mm-hmm. like once every couple weeks do I like get in between my toes and scrub it up. Um. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm probably not the most <laughs> thorough shower. Or, or, um, Except yeah. when you indulge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I it's mean, fun. Those, yeah. those habits are funny. Like, the things that you learn, like, maybe your parents teach you a certain way when you're little, but then yeah. you get out into the wide world, and you, like, we all develop our own systems of doing these things in private yeah like uh you know like i have when i take a shower i wash myself pretty much in the same order every time yeah and if Mm. i break that it feels super weird like i usually wash my face last you know i do do my feet i do my toes all that but like (laughs) nobody taught me that it's like something for some reason somewhere down the line i decided this arbitrary order, and now if I break it, it feels weird, you know? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds really methodical because I actually, now that you say that, I've been realizing that in the shower, I don't have an order. You're you know, a free washer, like, freestyle. Yeah, and lately I've been thinking, like, what makes more sense? And I think I've come to the conclusion that actually washing my face makes sense. It makes sense to wash my face first mm -hmm. rather than, like, wash my junk and then my face, for example. Right. So, like, wash, you know, the the thing that want, you want to be the cleanest, maybe, first, mm -hmm. and then get towards the dirtier stuff. Something yeah. like that. Head to toe. Yeah. Can you take me through your quick a quick order? Sure, yeah. yeah. I usually, I mean, these days I don't really shampoo yeah. anymore. When I had uh, yeah. hair your length, uh, so I would do... I always start with my arms, do the armpits, chest, maybe a little back. My back's probably the most neglected. It's hard to reach all those hard-to-reach mm -hmm. spots. Yeah. Um, then I do my belly, go down. I do the junk, the grundle, the rear. Uh, and then I I feel like you're right. Like, that's kind of the... You know the zone I want to wash my I rinse you know I'm rinsing in between the right. sections. Yeah. But then to me like I do my legs and my feet and that kind of like refreshes my hands. <laughs> uh. Like something about my legs feels like you know whatever dark spirit from my package. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is like you then uh, yeah. relather, reapplied. You okay. know. Then okay. I'm ready for yeah. my face, and I okay. think it's because. Traditionally, like I used shampoo and conditioner, and I would always want to do that at the end because I felt like if I did it in the beginning of the shower, I'd be like rinsing out a lot of the nutrients or whatever. Like hmm. if I had a conditioner, yeah, like I always felt like doing that at the end, and it also gives my hair time to get like fully wet and warm. Yeah. Similarly with my face, I feel like washing it at the end means that my face is getting more time for the pores to open under the warm water. And so it feels more appropriate to wash it at the very end. And it's kind of like yeah. the nice, you know, last. It's almost like I'm saving the, the you know, the best bite of the pie for last. Cause yeah. Washing my face. That's like the special. I moment. actually can relate with that. Yeah. It's the kind of the most satisfying. Mm -hmm. I also use peppermint Dr. Bronner's. So oh. Just a nice... You know, staying on the face. Get those tingly balls. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's an acquired yeah. taste, but it is quite nice. It is, yeah. It was a bit intense at first, but it's 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 subtle, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like um, you need to see... It's like an indication that it, I'm being cleaned. It's like when you when uh, when a soap lathers, it's like an indication that it's working or that you're, it's being, you're being cleaned. So, like, that sensation to me has come to signify, like, <laughs> I'm clean because <laughs> I've just used it for so long. Yeah, so. that you really do feel fresh after that soap. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, I could yeah. see that being almost an addictive feeling. Yeah. Where, you know, if, you don't, if you're not getting the tingle, like, did it really happen, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I've used... Uh, um, Dishwasher, dishwashing detergent, for example, that doesn't lather when you wash dishes with it. Um, just kind of more natural stuff. And I'm like... You've used dish soap working. in the shower? Shit, dish no, no, soap no. in the shower? No, when I'm washing dishes. Okay. 
but like you know you put some on yeah. and with a sponge and there's no lather for sure i'm like so unsatisfying uh yeah i and i doubt how clean it's getting but that's right. just i know what you mean there's yeah. a there's like a mysticism about there's like a mysticism around soap and cleaning <laughs> i remember as a kid like something about like the dishwashing machine mm. it might not always get the dishes cleaner but the idea that I'm putting it in this magic box and a process is happening, mm -hmm. to me in my child mind, felt like, oh, the dish that comes out is cleaner. Yeah. When in reality, actually like washing by hand, a lot of times you're going to end up with a cleaner dish. You think? I think so. Well, maybe it's a bit of a trade-off because I know in the dishwasher it's getting hit with like crazy hot water for a sustained amount of time. Yeah. But then sometimes our dishwasher will leave like this weird, funky residue and then we have to wash it by hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. It's one of those, it's one of those modern conveniences where it's like, how necessary is that? I mean, obviously not necessary at all, but um, I think I could do without. Yeah. And I have lived in places without dishwashers many times i will say i'm pretty strongly in the camp of necessary just because i think if you're living with people to me the mark of like the one of the the greatest uh metrics of how healthy a household is like how much the house is functioning socially is if you look at the kitchen sink and I think that like dishwashers for communal living are one of the greatest inventions for keeping yeah. people from like cutting each other's throats. Because if you have yeah. been in houses without it and those things stack up and then there's our, you didn't do your dishes. Yeah. I did it on Wednesday. You got, you know, yeah, and being true. able to just stick it in a box it's true. and all you got to do is press a button. Uh, to me, that's yeah. probably saved a lot of lives over the generations. Yeah, definitely. Did you have a dishwasher growing up in your house? <laughs> I love this topic. <laughs> I did. We yeah, cover all I the did. important topics here. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I did have a dishwasher growing up. Um, but my most recent living situation in Mexico was without a dishwasher. It was also my first time living alone. Hmm. So that was, that was cool because... When the dishes stack up in your own sink, it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like, mm -hmm. you did that. Um, <laughs> you can't get mad at anyone. I mean, you can. You can get mad at yourself. But it's just kind of nice to, that was my first time ever living alone. So it was, my, it was nice to just be able to be clean or be dirty. Yeah. It's a liberating yeah. feeling when <laughs> the only mess is your mess. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to really, you really get in touch with like your own shit. Yeah. Both metaphorically and literally. And I think that, you know, the brief moments in time, I'm in the, I'm going to shift a little bit because I'm in the sun. Um, yeah. The brief moments in time that I have had the privilege of living alone have been, feels so good to be like in control of the space. Yeah. And I think that it's also really good to work on 
you know, there's a lot of cool work to do when you also have to live socially with other people. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Settings. We all need a little mixture of both, I think. Totally agree. Yeah. You I keep think going. I'm going to adjust this light real quick. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you, actually. Yeah. Uh, seeing as that we're on the topic, will you just tell the story of going to Mexico? Like, what prompted it? Yeah. I, I've been curious, personally. Sure what your experience was like down there yeah and just i feel like it'd be a good tale to include in this episode i would be happy to um so december 2019 i was living in the bay area and decided to uh a few months prior decided to head out on a bike tour with my friend my dear friend adley penner um and adley is an avid bike tour um, he's a bike tour maniac, quite frankly. And um, would you say that so he's a chaniac? I would actually. Now that you have introduced that term, <laughs> yes. Um, you know Adley? Uh, Bicicletas por la paz. I is know the, of the man? group, and I've probably seen him in a video or at yeah. a party, but I don't know if we've actually conversed yeah he's like one of those magical special human beings who just you can like really ride the adley train a conductor yeah he's very uh he's a free spirit anyway so uh we went together on a on a bike tour down uh we took our bikes and two street cubes like battery powered amps a couple guitars mic stand and a couple mics with the plan to busk in Mexico for a month or so. Um, I didn't have a date that I needed to be back by. Adley did have to be back a few months later, but I was kind of I was kind of like I could very well be gone for a while. There was no like upper limit. Uh, so we hitchhiked with our bikes all the way down um, to La Paz, which is like Baja California, like. Uh, maybe three hours from the bottom tip or so. And that's the one of the points where you can cross over to the mainland on the ferry. Um, was so that, we, did you go there because it was Bicicletas por la Paz? <laughs> no, that's actually the first time I ever thought about that, if you can believe that. <laughs> wow. No. Um, no, but... Uh, we just we stayed in La Paz for about a week and we were busking as a like a uh, a rap slash cumbia slash like hip hop soul duo, mm-hmm. just kind of all anything. Both playing guitar, we were playing with tracks too and we were rapping and we called ourselves Los Gusanos Azules, which is the blue worms because we both had blue sleeping bags. We were camping everywhere and so during our performances we would put the blue sleeping bags on and dance around like worms. Hell yeah! And rap like freaks Sick. in Spanish and in English um, and we would write we wrote in you know we wrote the songs Adley actually wrote most of it but we wrote a lot together too and we were there in uh, this was December 2019 so we were there during like the holiday season so it was just super bustling and it's right on the water so we had a great time busking and got some local gigs in town and um, and then we headed across on the ferry busked on the ferry all the equipment blew over in the wind but we did it um and then continued our journey down the mainland 
uh, and eventually wound up in San Pancho, which is where I ended up staying for two and a half years, which is about an hour north of Puerto Vallarta in the state of Nayarit. Like jungle, tropical, San Pancho is a small town, about 2,000 people. Adley had been to the zone years before on a bike tour because he's a bike tour maniac. Mm -hmm. and, uh, a chaniac. Yeah, a chaniac. <laughs> yeah, I like the term. <laughs> uh, kind of sounds like he's into Dick Cheney, which is not <laughs> what I was going with. But If you saw it spelled out, yeah. you'd get it, though. AI, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, he you know on our on our journey he was basically like we gotta get, we should get here because we wanted to get to the heat it was December, and we wanted to get to like you know fun it's like a you know small hippie town surf town, two three thousand people, um, yeah so he was just like you would love this place let's go and we wound up there we got there together, we ended up staying there for three or four days kept playing like shows every day. And then he left because he had to come back up here for a show with his band at the Starline in February. And I had stayed down because I was enjoying myself and didn't have anything to be back for. And uh, that's essentially it. A pandemic struck about a month later. And at that point, I was like, okay, I've been here for a few months. I've met some friends. It doesn't make sense for me to travel uh, Small town Mexico seems like a pretty good place to be, and it really was pretty ideal to oh, be yeah. to be there for that. Because I I do feel like I missed out on the worst of the you know the darkest part of the yeah. pandemic. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I escaped in 2021 to Costa Rica, and I was like going through a lot of those towns, meeting people in that situation who had like fled wherever country they were in. Yeah. Like, I think I'll just hang out on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you start to, you know, assess what's important yeah. in life. Totally. You know, you start to, um, maybe, maybe realize to a greater extent your agency mm -hmm. in life, that you know, your freedom. Um, yeah. How was your yeah. Spanish when you arrived? It was, I was, I would say it was fluent. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. I would say I was, yeah, comfortable, fluent, um, but uh, still was, uh, you know, probably just lacking some, like, speed. And um, kind of just, like, yeah, like, the, the rhythm and pace of a native speaker I didn't mm -hmm. have. Um, but I think by the end of the two and a half years there, I really felt um, like obviously no language ever will ever be more comfortable for me than English. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it was to the point where I just was hanging out with my friends and I wasn't thinking about the language. And it was, it's such a, an amazing feeling to, to realize that I, you know, just being able to connect with people in Spanish who I otherwise wouldn't be able to connect with in the same way, mm -hmm. to the same degree. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a beautiful you, thing. I, I feel like it's so interesting. One of the interesting things about making friends from other places where English is like maybe their second or third language 
you get to know them as an English speaker if you don't speak their language. Yeah. And there's a whole person that's like I remember like I had my ex Camila was from Brazil mm-hmm. and we got to know each other over a couple of years and her English got really good and we were we had deep conversations and I really felt like I knew her, but then I also realized that there was like this whole person inside that was like the Portuguese Camila that was able to, you know, communicate in a very like even more beautiful, poetic, articulate way. Yeah. I remember when we broke up, I I felt like this like kind of quiet sadness at like never that I was never gonna get to know that. Yeah. You know, Portuguese is hard. I don't think I'll you know, maybe someday I'll I'll learn it. But like yeah. I think about that like every language is different too and changes your brain and every language has a different way of structuring the world and mm-hmm. structuring how, how you communicate. I think that's one of the beautiful things about learning a a new language or, or our friends in Europe or across the world that we envy who grow up with, you know, three or four yeah. languages. Like, you know, it's such a beautiful gift to be able to converse in, in different it tongues. It is, it is. And the opposite of what you're describing is uh, is also re- a really cool thing. And what I mean is uh, when you, for example, for me, when I meet someone in Spanish and I, mm-hmm. you know, am friends with them for m- many months in Spanish and then I hear them speak in English for the first time. And it's like, that's a, that's a really deep... Uh, feeling of connection too because it's like you're going out of your way to do what's less comfortable for you. Yeah. Thanks. There we go. Um hold on. Yeah, there's I think when you're speaking in your second language, it's can be a more vulnerable thing because it's something that's less comfortable for you and so when my friends would um in many cases, I had friends who, like, I didn't hear them speak in English for, yeah, a long time, months. And when they, when I finally heard that, it was like, I'm instantly closer with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this this language that, that is me, really. And that's, I just, when I hear it, it's like, yeah, that's my home language, right. you know. Yeah. And so, just when, when someone makes an effort, and I'm sure it's the same, you know, for us, making an effort in Spanish, totally to them. Yeah, this yeah. this last trip, going to Guatemala, me and my brother, last month. Uh, this is now my fourth Spanish-speaking country in four years, so I'm starting to like get the very, to grasp the rudiments of the language to the point. Like I'm by no means fluent, but I can exist. Like I could, yeah. I could survive in a Spanish-speaking country and navigate a market. You know, I had a couple long car rides where I managed to, like, keep a conversation going with someone that didn't speak English for the whole time, and that was, like, a huge growth moment for me. Mm -hmm. Like, through my broken, you know, I'm saying things that are totally not grammatically correct, but I'm conveying meaning, which is the important thing. And, you know, I'm with my brother who speaks very little Spanish. And so... Um, you know, this kind of relates to your point or whatever, but, you know, one of the things he commented on was just, like, my personality of, like, being able to, like, 
be goofy and outgoing and not worry about, like, I really don't worry so much that I'm not speaking the language right. Yeah. To me, it's all kind of a fun game of like, hey, I'm going to try. I know this is like, yeah. mi espanol es malo, lo siento, you know. Yeah. Uh, but like that, the effort is there and the love is there. And to me, it's always like this really kind of funny, you know, joyful, levity, inspiring practice. Yeah. And therefore, the people that I try to talk with, it's like it's in that flavor. It becomes like a really positive interaction mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm coming into it as this with like as a beginner. There's like a sense of humility and yeah. then there's also, like, I'm putting in a lot of effort, which I find people really appreciate, but mm-hmm. also because I don't have a lot of dimensions in ways that I can say things, there, like, nuance is a beautiful thing in language. When I speak English, there's always going to be a lot of nuance. Yeah. There's also more capacity for misunderstanding but maybe like misunderstanding without knowing that you're misunderstanding. Like I might say something to another English speaker and you're going to take your own meaning out of it that may be very different. Yeah. But if I'm trying to speak Spanish to you, you understand like, oh, this guy doesn't have five different ways to say this. Yeah. If there's something honest about I'm just yeah. trying to talk about the sun or the yeah, shape yeah. of the sign or, you know, like it's more like, hey, I'm trying to just like connect with you. Yeah. And it's not so much about how I'm saying it or I don't have any ulterior motives other than to connect or than to like create a feeling of camaraderie. Yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying, right? Yeah. Like when your friends started speaking English, there's almost like this honesty to it because like they're going to say it in one, you know, it's not going to have like six different meanings that you could imply. Exactly. Yeah. It's like very uh, candid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just honest and, and straightforward. Um, yeah. and, and funny, like the mistakes, yeah. I try to tell my friends who like, who are second English, like as a second language speakers, I'm like, no, no, like the mistakes are the best part. Like I hear people speaking like me all the time, but the, yeah. the errors, then we just get to laugh. And I, that's yeah. my favorite thing in the world is to laugh. Yeah, know? totally. It's really all about um, confidence honestly, or even just faking it, just trying and, and trying not to care. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do. It really is. But um, it seems like you were able to do it to some degree, to just kind of like be like, can I, are we swearing or should I say frick it? No, you can swear. <laughs> is, I'm going to say frick this it. This is though. TVMA. Actually, I'm going to change it, though, to Frick It. Frick It. Like, yeah, it seems like you were able to just be like, Frick It, and just be like, you know what, I don't, I'm not the greatest speaker mm-hmm. in the world, but I'm just going to give it my all. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, it is all about communication. I totally agree. And that's how you kind of, that's how you progress, is just by trying to communicate. Um, it's cool. Yeah. It's It's fun. I think that, a lot of pe- a lot of us in this country who don't come from families that speak Spanish or have that as part of you know there's those of us in our communities that like that either grew up speaking Spanish they have parents that speak Spanish or they're in communities 
They grew mm-hmm. up going to school with friends whose families speak Spanish, who get to absorb it, it you know, through like osmosis. Where it's very effortless growing up. You get to learn as a kid where it's just fun and easy. Yeah. And then for a lot of us, because we don't have the greatest language education in our public schools, we get it in a class and then you're kind of like dependent on how, well, how good is the teacher and how... Yeah. How much? What's the yeah. teacher's personality going to do as far as your ability to engage? And I think that the way that we introduce it in the curriculum, at least in my experience, it was like very clunky and almost like so much in education, like really ignoring basic psychology, like setting up learning as work. Yeah. As something you have to like trudge through. Yeah. And what what actually, you know, ended up making you know my brain able to lock on to languages was traveling having fun making it into a game making it into play but also giving myself the necessity of like i gotta figure out how what time the bus leaves you know yeah and that's going to be imperfect but if i can get the the necessary information then i can you know turns into this cool puzzle yeah and i feel my brain like growing in those moments of like this is actually like really good for my brain right now that I'm struggling with this yes. situation, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's where all the most growth occurs is when you're, you know, when it's uncomfortable and hard and you feel like you're not progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there's so many parallels for me between language and music because they're both such lifelong and like endurance games kind of because they're both never-ending journeys and uh yeah you know as a second language spanish speaker there's only so much for example or any language there's only you know so fluent that you can get in your lifetime and there you know and even in your own language you even in english you'll never know all the words or or um all the different ways to say things or like have read all the Shakespeare or have all the references or whatever. And same thing in music, like no matter how many albums you consume and how many hours you spend shedding, uh, you'll never be Stevie wonder. No, never. (laughs) And it is just so limitless in both. But I think those are probably my main two passions in life. Yeah. Languages and music. And there really are so many parallels and I think they're, um, they're enduring loves for me for that reason because they're never ending and there's always you can always dive in again and you can always step away and come back and it, they'll always be there you know like for me being in Mexico for two and a half years being immersed in the Spanish I feel good I feel like full of that mm-hmm. and I feel now here I'm a bit more in I mean, I was very in the music world down there too, but I feel a bit more immersed in my music passion here now, and that feels really good. And I know that um, there will t- come a time again in my life where my soul yearns for Spanish again, communicating in Spanish and being in Latin America or Spain yeah. or whatever. Um, well, it seemed like yeah. from the outside, and feel free to expand on this, like, 
um, it seemed like you went down into this town and you kind of set up shop and created this cool, I mean, I was, this is through like little posts and snippets of video that I got to witness, but it seemed like you kind of went and set up like a super cool music scene and you developed in some new ways and now you're returned as this like, you know, charming prince (laughs) coming back to the kingdom to, you know, like a returning hero from your campaign abroad. Wow. And, uh, what an image. Like, well, I think it's important. This is one of the things I was, you know, trying to share with my brother. Just like, I think that like as an artist, especially with music, like if you stay in one place for a long time, everybody has seen your tricks, right? And you've also, like you really get locked into this identity that you are in your community, which can be a huge plus, but it can Mm -hmm. also make it really hard to grow and to change and to transcend. And I think there's something really powerful about going out into the world, getting around some people that don't know who you are and sharing your gift and yeah. like both like, y- you know, like we were just saying, having to problem solve, grow, figure new things, but then you're also getting a lot of appreciation and like novelty because you're this new face, right? Yeah. You have a new identity that you've grown, and then you come back to your community. Suddenly everyone's like, whoa, like something different, or there's yeah. this shine on you that, you yeah, know, totally. I'm wondering if you felt, you know, anything like that returning. Yeah, back yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, like, in my time before going down to Mexico here in the Bay, musically, I was a little bit like, I'm in such a sea of such talent and people who are being, you know, so successful. There's a lot of success, a lot of talent, a lot of just, there's a huge sea of great musicians here. Mm -hmm. And myself, who have the tendency to compare myself with others, kind of got into that a little bit. And so it was nice going down to Mexico and just being in a smaller community of people. And it was like, okay, this is, you know, these are the people we got to work with, like making connections within a small musical community and and kind of getting back a little bit more back to the joy of music, like just playing music. Right. Um, yeah, I, I actually don't know how relevant this is to your question, but maybe that's the kind of the nature of the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think... Uh, my time down there was, uh, I view it kind of as like me cutting my teeth uh, as a uh, performing live in a band. Okay. Yeah. Because I didn't have much experience with that, just with just gigging regularly. And like we, like, we would have weekly gigs in the next door town, Sailita. We would have like, you know, we played maybe two, two to four nights a week. Um, in just bars mm-hmm. and play. We played a lot of originals, but we played um, covers too. Um, this is what this project was called Iguana Comet. My friend Eli. Oh, you know Eli? Yeah, E2. Yeah. Torres. Yeah, yeah. My brother. Yeah, so yeah. In, our, in our little group with me and my brother, 
Tony always calls him E2 because <laughs> Eli Goldlink. Because Goldlink was like the yeah. first Eli in his band, and then yeah, yeah. E Dub came in. And, and it's funny because Eli and Eli are friends too. Exactly, they're yeah, they're all part yeah. of the community. So, but yeah, yeah. Torres is a, is a beast. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome, and and so we were writing a ton together. So we were we were playing originals, but also covers because you know you got to kind of get the dancey vibes going. Mm-hmm. We were playing with this amazing Argentinian drummer, Nico, like world class, just so good. Nice. Um, and such a good harmonizer. My God. So we drummer had a trio. Drummer and harmonizer. And Eli's a great harmonizer, yeah. too. So Awesome. It was really sweet. Yeah, the trio. What kind of music? You know, soul, R&B. Mm-hmm. We play like Donny Hathaway, covers some Stevie. Nice. Uh, you know, Paul McCartney, and then original stuff. But yeah, having just a trio with everyone singing is so nice to just be able to have three parts. Yeah. And only three people. Uh, yeah, so I, I feel like I just... Uh, it was to the point where I was sick of gigging, so I think in a way that's that's good because uh, I think that shows that I kind of got to a point where I was like getting maybe a little too comfortable with it kind of the routine of it yeah but at the same time just having a lot of experience even just setting up equipment dialing live sound doing the reps yeah exactly doing the reps which I feel like I is such a good place to do it because in Mexico that is in that small town in particular there's such a and I don't mean this in an offensive way at all or like insulting but there's such a low barrier of entry compared to in the Bay Area. Yeah. When you email a venue in the Bay Area, it's like, what are your, tell me your last three venues you played. Yeah, what's your musical resume it? look like? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have one. So in Mexico, it was nice just being, you know, walk into a bar, be like, hey, do you guys want some live music here? And they're like, yeah, can you play tomorrow? You know, I mean, I'm slightly exaggerating. But, yeah. But that li- did literally happen a few times. That's awesome. That kind of thing. I think yeah, that's, so, I've, I've found that's pretty common, like, on the travel trail. Yeah. Like, wherever you go. I mean, we were uh, we were in town in San Marcos and Lake Atitlan for, like, two days. The first day that Tony goes into town by himself, he comes back that night, he's like, I joined a band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we got a gig on Saturday, you know? It's like, you know, because you're meeting, yeah. a, you know, I think in those settings, you're meeting a lot of people that are nomadic and when you're in a big city like this there's a lot of people that have just put down roots and they're developing as a as a local musician you have like such a you know a hierarchy and a scene yeah so it's beautiful to get to go to a place like that where maybe the you know the artist community is more transient in nature yeah so if you are putting down roots or you are just you know, th- there are more opportunities. Um, it's also not so crazy expensive. So exactly. You know, is that how you were able to subsist down there by just playing gigs? Yeah, that and I got California unemployment while I was down there. Yeah. Yep. From the uh, from being a substitute teacher in Berkeley. Because okay. uh, yeah, so I was I was very fortunate to um, kind of exercise that loophole and um so that was more than enough to be comfortable and then gigging you know was enough for me to pay rent and pay for food so that i 
I really didn't have to dip too much into that. Um, so yeah, it was like, you know, I couldn't do much saving with the money I was making gigging, but uh, it, was, it was something, enough to kind of break even and live that lifestyle, <laughs> the simple lifestyle. Just wanted to take advantage of the beautiful dude, golden yes. hour light. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, sorry, but yeah, dude, that's dope. I, I love, you know, despite all the, um, you know, the many mixed feelings about the last couple of years and the way that things were handled and things went, you know, one of the, th one of the really positive outcomes of the pandemic and the shutdown and all this, despite all the like obvious hardships, businesses closing, people losing their livelihoods. I do think one of the positives that I really try to focus on was this space that it gave a lot of creatives and artists to, you know, maybe work on some things that they didn't quite have the bandwidth for beforehand. Um, how many new projects, this podcast being one of them, were started because people got like, you know, the unemployment or got a chance to like read, sit back, reevaluate. Yeah. What are my priorities? What do I want to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was feeling kind of guilty about the <laughs> getting unemployment while being down there. And then I met various people from the U S who were in the same boat living down there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it was, uh, I uh, I was able to clear my conscience and be like, you know what, I will accept the fake government's free money. Of and, course. Uh, there's plenty to go around, mm -hmm. and certainly, you know, much more could have gone around. But of course. Yeah. And you, yeah. it's not like you were just sitting around playing Xbox and drinking <laughs> rum, you know, like you were furthering <laughs> the global consciousness on oh. an artistic level you know? oh man i don't i don't want to create any illusions about what i spend most of my time doing <laughs> around there because gigging was at night okay. but i didn't have a day job so yeah. i mean small beach town i did a lot of nothing i did a lot of chilling at the beach mm -hmm. swimming in the ocean walking through the jungle chilling at my apartment doing nothing Right, um, but as an artist, yeah. doing nothing. That, see, this is the thing that I think. I think that living in the Bay, this place, this hive of frenetic activity that's become like so grid-minded where everything's on like a f spreadsheet schedule. Yeah. We think of that time. It's like, oh, I was doing nothing. No, actually what you were doing was like living a really grounded life exploring yourself, nature, finding inspiration, and also take giving your body and your mind the necessary downtime to go out and be intensely creative, which requires a ton of that. Like, it's, it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of energy to create stuff. Yeah. And I think that's, that's true. one of the hardest things about being an artist in this part of the world is that we're surrounded by people that are like, you know, using software to optimize their productivity. They're thinking in this, like, what do I do with my 60 hours a week? Every minute right. needs to be accounted for. And if I'm not at the gym, right. then I got to be eating highly nutritious meals. And if I'm not doing right. that, then I need to be meditating. And I have 10 minutes to meditate so I can right. clear my mind. So, you know, it's like yeah. that whole way of being is pretty insane. <laughs> it is. And 
I, I, I honestly am I'm pretty far on the other end of the spectrum, but I often wish that I, or, or strive to have more of that, mm-hmm. like a healthy amount of that. Yeah. Because I need that. And it's easy for me, to, for my default setting to be kind of, if I don't create structure for myself, then it's easy for me to, yeah, just kind of be very like flow through the day. Totally. And see what happens, which is great. I love it, but it's not like an everyday thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, we all have to develop that own balance in our lives. I know I, for me coming to my current spot, which is, I've kind of hit this nice middle ground where I'm actually like really pretty productive in my life, but I still have a lot of like slow downtime. Yeah, uh, and I, I I had to come to a place where I started to. At first, I felt a lot of shame around like a day where I did nothing. Yeah. you know, where I was like, "Oh, I'm such a schmuck." Yeah, and I had to change the relationship with those with that time and recognize how tightly connected to the days where I do a shitload of stuff. Those days are like now I see it as like, oh, on a day. Like I'm usually now I have to like really work, like I have to focus on not doing anything. Yeah. Cause I'll spend like hours like doing like productive stuff. That's not earning me money, but it's like building towards the stuff that will help me earn an income yeah. or further my art. So like the days where I actually do nothing, I almost have to like set that intention that like, no, today I'm going to read my book. And, and those are actually pretty rare. And when you're reading your book, you're not doing nothing, totally. by the way. Yeah, totally, exactly. <laughs> and, and when you travel, you start to see, I think it gives people the opportunity to, to step outside of, like, of that normal schedule. Yeah. And because it's much easier to have those days where you're, I mean, you see a lot of people, they, get, they go to a country, and before they've even landed, they're like, have their whole itinerary planned out, right? So they're already working from the moment they get on vacation. Like, well, we oh got to go God. by 3 p.m. We got to take a shuttle. We got to go see these ruins. We're going to stay there for an hour. Then we're going to come. We're going to eat at this restaurant, you know. And, and it's then like, we're going to have two hours of chill time <laughs> yeah. when we get back to the, but only two hours, okay? Right. And we have to be chilling. Yes. And then you see <laughs> yeah. the inevitable nervous breakdown that happens yeah. with with those that dynamics when life comes in and it's like, oh, the bus. You miss the bus. There's not one till tomorrow. Yeah, or right. we're in a group and some people don't want to exactly do that. And yeah. so I think like that is a beautiful part of the experience is being confronted with those moments. Having, I remember when I was traveling India, I had this whole itinerary planned, and I was I got so stressed trying to hold to it that I lost sight of where I was, that I was actually doing exactly what I needed to be doing right there. And Mm -hmm. I had this epiphany, this moment where I'm like, wait a minute, I'm like packing my bags and leaving this place. And this is actually where I want to be. But I'm holding, uh, you know, I was like, nobody's holding me to this itinerary but myself. And it's actually hurting me, making me feel bad. Like, I'm just going to throw it out. And once I did, like this wave of relief, washed over me and I realized like it changed fundamentally like how I think about time and those days and um 
You know, I think that it's important that, as especially as creatives, as artists, that we recognize the importance of days off, of having a day that's not at all attached to our ambition. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a great um, Questlove quote from this this documentary. He's talking about why the Roots are a successful band, and he said. He says, you don't want to know the secret to the root success? I'll tell you right now. He's like, any band out there, feel free to take this because this is why I think we've stayed together all these years and why we've been able to do this thing. He said, in the beginning, we set aside one day of the week. Sunday was band day. Sunday, we don't play any music. We don't do any band work. We go over to the homie's house. We barbecue. We put on the game and we just chill and we hang out and we joke and we laugh. It's, we're not focusing on tickets. We're not focusing on promotions. Yeah. We're not focusing on learning songs or improving. It's just getting together and reminding each other like that we all love each other and that we're friends. And I think that that's really important. In whatever version of that, however you got to package it up as an artist, we all need our version of that in our lives. Yeah. You know? I really like that. Yeah, that one yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. That's, Thanks, Quest. Yeah. It's so true. You gotta you gotta cultivate that band dynamic, for sure. It's as important as. Well, no, it's not quite as important as the music, but they do kind of go hand in hand. I think. Um, yeah. I'm reading a this book Lorenzo lent me, which is a. Uh, autobiography by Maurice White, the Earth, Wind, and Fire founder and kind of lead man. And uh, he was talking about how at a certain point they were already pretty um, successful, I think it was 90, 1975 or 1976, and he brought on these horn players who um, he had known them in his youth when, when Maurice was a little bit more um, timid. And at that point in his earlier life, they were kind of like above him. They were kind of like mentors to him and taught him his confidence and stuff. So when he brought them on on a successful band, they kind of assumed that that was still going to be the dynamic. And so they had a really tough time between him and the two new horn players who he had known before. Um, they, they just never really were on the same page about the dynamic. But there's a point where he says, but the live shows were so much better musically because of them that we, uh, there was no doubt about whether, um, like the musical effectiveness and impact would be affected by the offstage tension, mm. which I think is not always the case. Mm -hmm. But I think when there's such musical harmony, um, you know you can make that sacrifice to a certain degree. Yeah, for sure. I think I it's also like, it creates this pressure cooker of a situation, right? Where you're like, there's something about performance when there's a little bit, it's like they talk about like flow state when there's a little bit of stress applied or a little bit of tension applied, it can like push people to mm -hmm. transcend yeah. And 
I think any good musician who's who's achieved, uh, you know, there's a tendency sometimes to fall into complacency. Yeah. Because you've got a working formula or whatever. You know, it's one of the things, you know, shout out to the Honey Drops that I think that, like, Lesh does really well is keeps this, like, rotating cast of talent coming in and performing with the band because, A, it makes the band sound better, but I think he also has this in- intuitive perspective of, like, hey, this is going to make me push myself more. If I bring someone on stage, if I bring a Tom on with his clear, beautiful voice, like, now I got to be on my shit, too, because, you know, it's easy to to fall into that pattern that, like, you're not pushing anymore. You're like resting on your laurels, or yeah, you know, absolutely. And kind of related to what we we're talking about, um, Lesh always. I feel like everyone that he brings on is such a good person, right? Yeah, There's personality. Just, yeah, I mean, yeah, because it. I mean, it really is so important. And when I read that little snippet on an Earth, Wind, and Fire thing, I was like, I think I would have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Like they were, you know, they were just at such a high level where, right? You know, the music. There's playing stadiums. The music needs to take precedence. Totally. Um, and it's also yeah. a different era, right? Like where I could see back then, the style of communication would make it harder to like address that particular issue with nuance. Whereas now, like a generation later, we have a lot more language yeah. to talk about that dynamic to where like in a similar situation, you could be like, hey, like, you know, you could kind of like address that dynamic and be like, you guys are like welcome and stoked, but also like, you know, if it's causing issues off stage, you know, maybe that's something that can be talked about because there's yeah. more, we have more language these days than we did back then. What do you mean we have more language these days than we did back then? I just think that, like, as we've continued to study psychology and sociology and there's, like, a more nuanced understanding Mm. of the way that people interact and communication dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Like, people, like, being honest and communicating directly is uh, becoming, like, a a trend. Right. Which I fully support. It's a great one. You know? Yeah, and we're still... I don't think that we... What I've come to see is, like, it's not even that we're better... I think most people are still pretty novice communicators. Absolutely, it's, it's, myself included. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I got a degree in it. I still suck at times, you know? Like, I'm still trying to yeah. figure out how to be better, but... I know. and And so I think that, like, in previous eras... There was still a lot of really deep communication going on, yeah. but it was with almost like cruder tools or with like, like you could say something with a look that would convey a certain message. These days we have a lot more like actual physical language to talk yeah. with nuance about feelings. And I'm not saying, I don't think it's like across the board a better thing. I just think it's it's more, it's like before we had 12 colors on our yeah. paint easel, now we have 64 colors on our paint easel. You know? I agree. And I actually, now that you say that, also think that, um, I think I kind of want to retract what I said about like, well, not that we're not on a trend, hopefully, for like communicating 
more effectively. But like, I think also with the with the increased vocabulary that we have, there's kind of also more of a stepping, trying not to step on each other's toes thing or beating mm -hmm. around the bush that happens because there's so many different ways to say it. Right. Also, that kind of ties into what we were talking about, about speaking in a second language, you know, it's just so direct. Mm -hmm. But um, I think uh, before the internet, people probably communicated more bluntly and more directly with each other and probably got less offended by things. Definitely. And <laughs> so I think hopefully, hopefully we're like working our way back towards a more like direct communication with one another and not so much of like a being afraid of each other and mm -hmm. like just walking by each other and not acknowledging each other. Um, you know, two two animals always sniff, you know, two dogs are always going to sniff each other's butts. Two cats are always going to acknowledge each other and so on and so forth. And it's crazy how many humans walk around and just... Don't sniff each other's butts. Exactly. You heard of your folks, for <laughs> folks first. Tom's advocating for butt sniffing as the new yep. social commencement of activity. You heard it here first. Hobart twisted my words yeah. into what he just said. <laughs> so No, but I, th I think the thing that most excites me about where we're getting to with our communication is as more and more people are starting to like do the work of understanding how their mind works or how their emotions work or what sort of trauma they're... Like the more that we understand those and our triggers... I think that more and more people are taking ownership over like their own agency and their emotional reactions. So yeah. that when, when someone upsets them or offends them, they can be like, that's my shit. Like, like some of it is the way that you communicated and I can try to communicate about that. But I have like also my own responsibility of how I responded in that moment that yeah. I have to work on that I, or the, even just to, you know, how is it nice? Is it when, when you do have an uncomfortable situation and the other person's like upset, but they're like, Hey, some of this is, is my shit. Yeah. And I'm, tr I'm working on it. Sorry. Yeah. Trying to do better, trying to get better at it. Yeah. That's all as humans we really want is just to see yeah. that people are trying. You know? And how nice is it when you're, you get all worked up in your head about having to say something that you want to say that's hard to say because it's so direct and honest. And then when you say it, it's just the taking, it's received so easily mm -hmm. and, and like lovelily. Yes. That it's like, oh, it really can be that easy to just say what's real. Yeah, that pr process of agonizing over a difficult conversation yeah and then the feeling of relief when on the other end when it like isn't actually that big of a deal yeah or the per you're like that's right you are awesome yeah, yeah exactly you, that, there's a reason why we're friends i see mm -hmm. it now mm -hmm. you know like, yep for sure and yeah it's, it's great the the um people are you know all a bunch of funky animals but there's a lot of love and when people are at the be their best it's the best you know yeah um, yeah one of my favorite things is uh, like when people I know well are just are doing something that's very characteristic of themselves, 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just those moments when, like, your friend blank is being very blank. <laughs> like, George is being so George right now. Or what he, did, what he just did was so George. Um, yeah. I just like when people are, act characteristically. Um, and I also like when they act uncharacteristically. That's fun, too. Kind of being out of character. Um, Hobart is currently adjusting the cameras and checking the light levels. Trying How are we doing? Trying to maintain a level of professionalism on here. Yeah, how's it looking? We're losing light. I mean, you look great, as always. <laughs> well, I'm I, uh, catching the better light, I guess, right? You know, I feel like this, the, the cool thing about doing it at this time is that we're, you know, you, the audience, I'm going to break the third wall, fourth, fourth wall, third wall, fourth wall. You as the audience are getting to experience an elemental, as the conversation ages, you know, the, the light is failing too, the light yeah, is aging, yeah. the day is aging. Um, yeah. And so I think like, maybe this will be a good topic to end on. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you're, you're ret you've returned to the Bay and just where you are at this moment as an artist, what are the projects that are you're excited about? Mm -hmm. What are the things that you want people to know about that you're engaged in? Yeah. Um, you know, Tom's a great, art, amazing musician, for those of you that don't know. One of, the, one of the titans of the current Bay Area <laughs> hip music scene. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Voice of an angel. Um... Right now, I am uh, actually have a three-song EP that's all ready to go. Sick. I just got the artwork. Hell yeah. And I did that with uh, that drummer that I mentioned that I was playing with in Mexico, Argentinian guy named Nico. Okay. Um, he also produces, and so it's like we kind of home studio. We recorded those songs in his, in his spot, and... Uh, yeah, so that's coming sometime soon, before the end of the year for sure. And uh, in addition to that, I also have five songs recorded that have yet to be produced or mixed, but um, that'll be, I think, kind of once I finalize this um, three-song EP, I will I'll move on to mixing, or you know, not mixing myself, but figuring out the mixing and producing for those songs. And to be honest, as I think any any creative person can relate to, by the time you get to release the project that's ready to be released, you're so ready to move on to the next <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh yeah. And you're like, I would I wouldn't write those songs I, I still love the songs, but you know, you just get to a point where you're like, I wouldn't write those songs today. Mm -hmm. And and I, I really want to get um, these things moving so that I can um, kind of clear space uh, internally for like what's to come after these things that I've already recorded. And these things are both recorded in Mexico, so it's kind of like a relic of that time. Um, That's kind of one of the paradoxes, yeah. I think, especially with music. I know my brother talks about this all the time, is like, 
by the time you get, you learn the song and you articulate your ideas and you practice it to the point where you're like ready to share it with the world, the magic moment's already kind of passed for you where you're like super turned on by it. Yeah. And, uh, and so you're sharing it and everyone's hopefully loving it and getting high off of it, but you've already like kind of reached the crest and now you're on the other side. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think that there's a practice. I think you could probably practice that appreciation and there's probably also a way now. I'm, I would be curious if there's a way now that we have all these platforms and methods of, you know, it's never been easier to, to be the home studio, you know, content creator, however you want to do it. I would yeah. wonder if there's a way now to have things dialed as a, as a musician where you're like, sharing the stuff that you're most high on in that moment. Yeah. If that's even makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think there is a way to do that. I think it's generally achieved in more short form in snippets. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it is possible to stay on top of it, but just requires more time and more dedication and, yeah, a lot of discipline to stay on top of it like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. In the past, I've worried too much about releasing things and how to release them, and I. I just want to release music at this point, mm-hmm. and. I just want to continue writing music and performing it and putting it out there. And kind of try not to overthink it too much. What's do you have a project right now that's kind of your main project you're working on as an artist? Um, musician? I mean, uh, kind of my, I guess, just kind of getting back into my solo project and thinking about gigging around the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I've been, I have, I have desire to be gigging and to play with a band. Um, So some live performances feel like I would like that, Mm -hmm. feel feel like they're on the horizon. And uh, some stuff is shaping up for the fall. Do you have a current, like, band that you're gigging with? No, but I have some people in mind, and I think I want to try to get book a date first mm-hmm. and then go from there. Nice. You know, just like rather than the other way around. A reason for assembly? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that sounds nice. Hell yeah. I feel like that's coming. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I want to have a band with Lorenzo and Oliver. That'd be sick. Yeah. Yeah, the song that you and Oliver wrote together was more of that, please. We need more of yeah. that stuff. Or at least we're, you know, right, because, yeah, we, the three of us all write and we always, like, love each other's ideas mm-hmm. and just good works musical well. chemistry. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'd love to, like, explore that more, um, write, write and record some stuff with them yeah 
Well, we got to do some more videos when you guys write some more music. Oh, yeah. Because that Power of Family, for all of you out there listening, go check out the Power of Family on YouTube. That yes. Was, that was recorded right here. Recorded right here in this room. This is where a book girl was sitting. This is where book, I'm sitting right where book girl was sitting. Shout Sophia. out book girl. She made the video. We know video. your name, Sophia. Sophia, you made the video. Was, <laughs> I only got to say a couple words to you, but if I could speak through the camera, inspiration. Uh, yeah. Great job. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, we definitely, I'm definitely down to do more, more content in the future. And uh, I guess the last thing just to wrap up on is um, how can people find you, connect mm-hmm. with you? What are your, what are the channels for yeah. more Tom Quell? Yeah. I mean, any, mostly, mostly any platform you can find my music, Tom Quell. That's Q-U-E-L-L. Um, Spotify. Spotify, YouTube. Uh, Instagram is probably where I'm most active. What's the handle? Uh, that's tom.quell.music. Cool. Yeah. I'll throw that um, up too on cool. in, the, in the podcast. Thank so you. People can see it visually. Yeah. Um, I think that's mainly it. Cool. Okay. Well, we started as fools. <laughs> We're ending as cools. Yep. What's, uh, in your mind, well, maybe we'll end on this. I'll end with a question. Sure. Uh, Who is the coolest musician in the Bay Area at this moment? Coolest? Let's end with some love. Let's throw some shout-outs. Let's give a rose. Who's Okay, maybe not the coolest, but who is an especially cool, you know, artist, musician, creator that you want to boost, shout out right now? Zoe Winter. Okay. Incredible. Zoe Winter. Zoe, we love you. You're fucking cool. I just saw Zoe last night. at The Feelings Parade, also dope. They just released an album, The Feelings Parade. Shout out. Check that shit out. Um, And Zoe played in their band and sang killer harmonies, played keys, like a frickin' boss. Frick, and yeah. Frick, yeah. Yep. And uh, obviously has her own stuff, so. Hell yeah. Check Go out check out Zoe out. Winter as well. Check out yep. Tom Quell. Tom, I love you, man. I love you, too. Thank, Thank you, you so much for yeah. coming on the show. Thank you. I had a blast. And uh, Thanks for the cacao, by the way. We had a cacao ceremony prior to this. Hobart brought cacao from Costa Rica. Guatemala. Guatemala. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. We yeah, we had a legit cacao ceremony. I feel like I got pretty hopped up on it and put me in a really good uh, state of mind to converse with such an esteemed esteemed gent as yourself. Uh, but yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Had a great time, and uh, to all you out there, thanks for watching. We love you. Mwah. Until the next one, bro. Oh yeah. Oh, hug. This is where the credit music starts rolling. Don't want to close my eyes. Don't want to fall asleep. Because I miss you, babe. And I don't want to miss a thing. Even when I dream of you. What is it? The sweetest dream is not enough.
Cause I miss you, babe, and I don't wanna miss a thing. Fuck yeah, dude. That's how you end a podcast. Yeah.